something did happen and it did stop us right in our tracks with this design patent that they supposedly had, they were able to just send it to Amazon's support team and go, Hey, we have a patent. Here's the patent number for this design for our product. Take this off. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yo, welcome back to the TMBA pod. Today's episode is brought to you by Bagels and Cream Cheese. Because I am in New York City getting ready to get on a flight to DCBKK. This week is the absolute last call for DCBKK tickets. Today, we got a story for you about legal muckups. And crazy enough, at the end of the episode, we have a dynamite deal to help those of you with businesses protect your assets. Stick around to the end for that. So a little while ago, we ran an episode about one of our very own cease and desist letters that we received regarding that little airplane you can see on the TMBA logo on your phone. So more about that story soon. But following shows like that, listeners reach out to us and share their own trials and tribulations, especially those with a positive outcome that might help others. Hey, Tropical MBA team. My name's Dylan Smith. I'm a founder of two small businesses, and I've had my fair share of cease and desist letters and how I fought them and overcame these uh, legal woes from much, much larger companies. Fairly interesting story. There was some blood drawn, but in the end, I came out victorious and lived to sell another day. I could write a little synopsis via email if you guys are interested. Just let me know. I'll uh, include my email on this recording, but all great stuff that I heard today on that 501 episode. Really interesting. Thanks, guys. So we did reach out to Dylan, whose company Kegsmith manufactures and sells mini beer kegs. Very cool. And it turns out that this was an interesting story and a different perspective from the one we featured in our episode, which we'll link to in the show notes, by the way. So in Dylan's case, the cease and desist order led him to losing months of valuable selling time while his product was suspended by Amazon. Now, Bossman recorded this interview, but he's currently on his motorbike in a remote mountain pass in Colorado. That's legit. I just got a phone call from the dude on like a sat phone or something. So I'm going to let Dylan lay out the story of Kegsmith and how they eventually overcame their Amazon impasse. So in... 2016 holiday, we decided to bring in this product and we thought it was a good idea, open market. We thought we could do everything better than anyone else and there was limited competition. So 2016 holiday, we brought in a few units, had a great showing for the holiday season and we went full force into 2017 with a lot of momentum behind us. I had sourced a factory that made this product already that had multiple designs available. And I was able to go in there and kind of make it our own just with some slight tweaks. 
And what prompted you to think that this might be a good product to sell? My partner has a background in the beverage community. He's a home brewer. I wasn't necessarily that big of an enthusiast. I drank beer, but I definitely was not, you know, didn't know anything about the equipment. But where my background came in was I'm excellent at sourcing, been doing e-commerce for almost 10 years now, successfully, I should say. So I had done the research, saw an opening with the market, and so we decided to move forward with it. So you brought these products in in, in 2016. Initially, it sounded like you had a good response. And then what happened after that? We had inked a few distribution deals. We had some people in the business that loved our product. We had good concepts for bringing in, selling the products wholesale as well to like breweries and uh, golf courses and all these different avenues. So we stocked up heavy on inventory because we, we knew we could get rid of them. Around September 2017, that's when we received a cease and desist letter. Now, the cease and desist letter wasn't that shocking. My prior companies I've worked for, I even remember one of my bosses saying, oh, we got another C&D letter, like completely happy about it because, you know, he's like, oh yeah, we get these things like it's junk mail, you know? So when he said that, it always resonated with me like going, oh, you know, you must be doing something right in a sense that your competition's coming after you. So take me to the day that you received this letter. Where were you and how did it reach you? So my partner's in Arizona. So he was, and that's the business address. So he was the one that got to receive the letter and got to call me up and let me know, hey, we received our first letter. So I was kind of just the voice of, oh, don't worry about it. It's all good. We'll just ignore it. Your partner, it sounds like maybe he hadn't received a cease and desist letter before. What did it sound like when he called you? Oh, he definitely was taking it extremely seriously and was like, Dylan, there's some bad news here. What's going to happen? I mean, this is virtually his first business that he's been involved in that, you know, he's got a stake in it. So was it fair to say that he called you like a little bit panicked maybe? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he calls you panicked. He's holding this letter. Was it a physical letter that he got? Yeah. He got the, you know, the confirmed mail. Certified mail, like he had to sign for it and everything when it came to the house. Exactly. And your reaction to him was like, hey, dude, no big deal? Yeah. Actually, it was like, I was kind of expecting one at some point, you know, especially from the major player that we were competing against because we had gained momentum and I could tell that we were taking probably sales away from them. So it was kind of expected at some point. So what did the letter say, Dylan? It was, you know, the typical C&D letter that you, you could be almost probably template it, but it also included in there saying that, you know, they had a design patent for the product. It also added a little asterisk of like, you know, yeah, you can, you can license the product from us, one of those. So not even like stop it, but if you want to continue, royalties will follow. So you said something which is important, and I want to make sure that I understand. 
They said we have a design patent. They didn't say they had a utility patent. They said they had a design patent. Correct. And there's a huge distinction between that. So, you know, let's be completely honest here. There is no patent, or at least not one that's valid for draft beer and the technology on how beer is being poured, you know, that's been around for 100 plus years. Right. So, not to get too technical here, but basically, the way that patents can work is if there's prior art, meaning if there's an existing product that has existed for a long time, most of the time it isn't patentable because it's just in use and it's so common that you can't patent it. Now, you can patent certain elements depending on if you have like a new feature or a new function or a new way that something works. That might be a utility patent. But it sounds like what you got is a design patent. And my understanding of design patents is they can be very, very tricky to defend because even a slight tweak, something very, very minor can change your design patent or it can invalidate your design patent. Correct. 100%. You got it spot on. A design patent, I mean, you have to have a very unique product that someone is just blatantly ripping off to be able to defend such a thing. And with just a slight change of the threads and the lip of whatever, the shape, just a small like 10% is probably all you need. I know that's what you always hear is 10%. I don't know for a fact that it's the actual 10% rule, but the bottom line is a key feature in the design being slightly changed is usually enough to go around these design patents. I hear it a lot where people go, oh, why don't you have you know this or that patented? And it's like, well, I can't patent the technology, but I can patent the design, but anyone can you know, spend a few thousand dollars and just go ride around and make their own design. So So that's what makes these design patents hard to enforce is that they're fairly easy to go around. Now, when you got the cease and desist, first of all, was it written by a lawyer? And then second, did you know all this about design patents at the time? It was written by a lawyer and I knew enough to not be worried about it, or at least not think I was going to be worried about it. I have a second business where I deal with electronics and I do product design myself. So I knew, for the most part, the ins and outs of going around design patents. So you get this letter, you understand that somebody thinks that you're infringing on their design patent. You're not so worried. Your business partner is really worried. What did you guys do next? So I was just like, well, we're going to sit back and just watch and be patient and see what happens. But then something did happen, and it did stop us right in our tracks. And with this design patent that they supposedly had, they were able to just send it to Amazon's support team and go, hey, we have a patent. Here's the patent number for this design for our product, and take this off. This is our design project. Wow. So they send in a piece of paper that says, we have a design patent. So I assume they link to the USPTO or something like that. And then Amazon becomes the arbiter of this case, per se, on Amazon at least. Do you think that Amazon actually has the capacity to understand if you're infringing or not on a design patent? 
they 100% do not know, nor do they care. They immediately just side with whatever the patent is, and you guys are then responsible for dishing it out between each other. So they're going to try and relinquish as much responsibility as possible and you know, at least claim that, hey, we did our part. We removed these people that have been challenged on their product that they're selling. Wow. So at this point, you found yourself in a situation where your listing has taken off Amazon. It sounds like you might be going into the holiday season. What's your next move? So the next move going into the holidays was we need a lawyer up now because we are on our own at this point. You know, Now it's like, okay, the only thing we can do is sell on our own channels, do our wholesale thing, because nothing physically has really happened on that end. But Amazon's We've been stopped in our tracks, which we're a new company. Our website's still gaining traction. We're a new domain. So was it fair to say that most of your sales were coming from Amazon at this time? At that time, 100%. You uncrumple the uh, cease and desist from the trash can. And then do you send this to a lawyer? So yes, I find a local patent lawyer in the vicinity. We looked at their patent. That's the first thing we did was I looked their entire patent up and I read the entire thing and was trying to really understand what they were actually like, what the design critiques were on like how close we were to their product and whatnot. And I ended up going really far back and doing some digging to find out that there was actually another case prior to ours when we found that out. We were trying to understand like what happened with that case, and it went to nowhere. That case didn't get really resolved. So the company that was selling the product first, they actually were selling a unique product before that patent was ever issued. And so I looked into talking to the Chinese manufacturer, and I said, how do these people have this design patent? And they said, well, actually, we have a design patent for the product. And these guys, this American company, just took our product and submitted it for a design patent. And they were approved. So hold on a second. Let's back up a little bit. There was a company that was selling this keg. Before the company that sent you the cease and desist, they're selling this keg. Had they ever patented the product? No. Okay. They didn't have a utility patent. They didn't have a design patent on their product. And then this company after them, the one that sent you the cease and desist, they start developing a product or they start selling a product. They take out a design patent, but the Chinese manufacturer that was actually making this product for them also had a patent. Correct. Yes, exactly. So it was bizarre. It was actually, I mean, in my opinion, it was like, this is just a snake-like company that was just took somebody else's product and realized since there wasn't a design patent on it of something that had been being sold for years before, patented it, and then they started going after that older company that had been selling the product years prior to them. Here's the bottom line. If you rank higher in Google search engine results, your company is going to make more money. Why not get experts involved who've got proven strategies? Check out 
smashdigital.com. That's right. Longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with leading SEO specialist Travis Jameson's suite of companies previously called Supremacy SEO and Sassicorn. Well, now they've rebranded as smashdigital.com. Same incredible SEO insights and results. Yes, Ian and myself have used these services. And what smashdigital.com offers is simple, fully managed SEO services, link building, and SEO audits. In fact, they're giving away free audits to TMBA listeners. Check out smashdigital.com slash TMBA. You'll get a free audit from a real human being. These mini audits are done by the management team over at Smash Digital and they're personalized for your company. No automated software, just great advice from the SEO professionals at smashdigital.com. This is an SEO firm that isn't obsessed with regurgitating Google's best practices. These guys practice what they preach. So get a fresh view on the potential that your business has to reach new sustainable sources of customers from organic SEO traffic by reaching out to the team over at smashdigital.com. And why not take them up on that free SEO audit? Smashdigital.com slash TMBA. Check it out. So what happened when you contacted the Chinese manufacturer and you told them, I presume that you got a cease and desist and that it was this company. I actually started talking to them, trying to get as much information from the Chinese factory going, what's going on here? And so they actually helped in terms of just sending me as much information as they had, but they were useless in that sense. Like all they could send me were these past cases that they had heard about. You know, it was like, let the Americans fight amongst themselves because China was protected over there in their own little sphere. So after reading this court case, I decided, I'm like, you know, I think we're okay. Our product's different, just enough. I think we should be all right, but we do need a lawyer because we need to get our listing back up. And so we went full force with this lawyer and we came up with all of our evidence and all of our different points of why our product's different, how it's different. And we let those lawyer hours just start racking up. So tell me about those lawyer hours. How much is this costing you at the time? And how much time had elapsed between the time where you weren't selling on Amazon and you had to engage these lawyers? I don't remember the exact hours, but it was hundreds of dollars. It was at least 200 to $250 an hour, I think. So we were on the phone. We were doing these little you know, phone calls where he was writing up all the differences and getting all that lawyer language correct. And we decided, okay, well, let's go send this response letter saying, nope, we're not infringing on your guys' patent. Our product's different because of A, B, C, and D. Here are the images. Here's the proof. Here's that. And we waited a month and got crickets, absolutely no response. Now we're in the holiday season and we are getting crushed. We're doing everything we can. We're sending these response letters. We can't get them to respond. We send some a few things out to Amazon and Amazon tells us too bad, we're not getting involved until there's like a judgment that a lawyer can actually, you know, say, hey, these guys are good. Right. In Amazon's lies, you're guilty until proven innocent. 100%. By the way, I'm cooking up a strategy in my head right now to get rid of all my competitors on Amazon. 
I'm pretty good at Photoshop. Cook up a couple of USPTO design patents, maybe? Sure. Absolutely. Copy paste your name and logo on there. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Let's fast forward. It's February now. The holiday season's over. We've already accepted major, major defeat in the revenue area for our first full year of being in business. And essentially, you're sitting on a bunch of these kegs. You're waiting for your SEO to develop. Maybe you're pushing some AdWords to your website, but Amazon is just not a viable channel and it was your biggest channel. Correct. And I mean, at this point, we're just selling accessories. Like we're selling little CO2 cartridges and other mini keg accessories that were still available. It hits February, season's over. We've sent maybe three or four return letters at this point and absolutely no response again. That's when I go, okay, I need to start thinking about a new strategy here. And this lawyer isn't necessarily part of this strategy. So I reached out to a friend who is a, a big time Amazon seller and he puts me in contact with these so-called Amazon fixers. I'm not sure if you've heard of these guys. No, this but is exciting. What's an Amazon fixer? The Amazon fixers, I mean, I might have I just might have made up that term, but that's what <laughs> I call them. You know, people get their we're getting ASIN suspended or products removed or dirty tactics by the other third-party sellers. Somehow, you know, there's a number of ways of getting other competitors' products either suspended, removed completely, or just taken down temporarily. And so I reached out to this fixer, and the fixer was very gracious and just goes, what's the problem? I tell him the issue. We've written out these letters. No one's responding. At this point, I think they're just using this as a tactic to you know, destroy us on Amazon. I don't think they're actually even attempting to pursue us you know, in a legal format. Like they're just using that to kind of wave a, a red flag in front of Amazon's face or scare us into submission. So he says, here's a letter template. Use this, change this out, move this here, do that. And the letter template, just in a paraphrase summary, goes, said company, we've sent out four letters on this date, this date, and this date, and no one's responded. We believe that the said company is attempting to just use their patent or this, this accusation to deter us in like a black hat Amazon tactic. And that's it in short, but it was worded really nicely and properly for the support team to whoever received it. The letter was written for support. It wasn't written to another lawyer. It wasn't written for another company. It was written towards the support people at Amazon. And that one letter, boom, we got re-enabled just by this one letter. Let's talk about this fixer for a second. So you knew somebody that was selling a lot on Amazon, probably a lot more than you. Like they were a high volume account. So somehow they had some kind of pull in the Amazon organization. And then they hooked you up with this quote fixer. Now, what was the fixer's incentive to help you? So real quick, I want to make one thing clear. The, the fixer did not work for Amazon. The fixer might know people at Amazon, but they had absolutely no pull in terms of that. This is a third-party person that probably sells and helps other Amazon sellers 
for a living. Did you have to pay this fixer? So that's what was amazing. It was uh, an email. The response was okay. Tell me a little bit more info, this, this, and that, you know, the details. I went into full detail. And then he goes, use this template. Let me know how it goes. I use the template. We get re-enabled. I come back to him and I go, oh my God, I've been working on this for nearly five months. We've never gotten this far. We haven't been able to get anyone to do anything for us. This lawyer over here, completely useless virtually, I mean, in my eyes. And I go, what can I do to repay you? He goes, you're good, Dylan. Do you think that this person is just interested in helping people that have been wronged? A little bit, for sure. I'm not exactly sure to this day why they didn't even remotely look for even just like a little compensation. He could have asked for any, they could have asked for anything and I would have given it to him, especially after it worked. My first inclination is he's probably done this before. You know, again, this fixer probably just has these templates. I would have to imagine that these templated responses for a certain occasion that he knows if may have worked prior him knowing that it works is just that much more for maybe when these big companies come to him and need something fixed that he knows all right this template still is good it's still valid right so in one email to support you guys are back up and running what was support's response was it just a matter of like your listing is back live or did they write you back and say like hey it's listed again and it will be forever you've shown proof you never have to worry about this again it wasn't that encouraging or, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, they could just probably send this request, another, you know, patent request to have our stuff removed again, you know, pretty easily. But they just re-enabled it and said, okay, thanks for the letter, the information. They didn't respond to us. There was no fight back. Do you think you could have written the same email a month in or do you think it actually would have taken five months? Like, was there a time element to this? I don't think so. I'm not under the impression that this was like, oh, it was five months in. It's possible that it helped that I said we'd sent four letters to the opposing group and we got crickets over here. That's very possible. That was just like our mounting evidence, I suppose. But, you know, if I think about it, maybe, maybe two or three months of saying, hey, we've been responding and no one's responded back. And I think that's when they were like, okay these people aren't serious. So what happens when your listing goes live again? Well, since holidays had gone through, we were just back into the middle of summer and we were gearing up for, you know, summer sales and, you know, 4th of July and stuff. And we had five months of our ranking going nowhere but down. Plus new competition had shown up and got a great head start with their holiday sales. We just started ranking again and started doing good because the listing was in like perfect form to rank well and sell well. And that was when getting ready for 2018 holiday season, we we're keeping an eye out, you know, kind of nervous, like, oh, it's just going to be perfect. They're going to try and send this patent issue again and get us knocked off just during the holiday. We could just see this pattern reoccurring every time. And we had signed up for this company's newsletter, you know, just the, their, their normal newsletter that they possibly put out. And oh, and real quick, this company sells many things more than a mini keg. They had sold actual beverages. So they were pretty big. And I knew they had, like I'd seen them in the grocery stores. We received this newsletter from them and it was a GoFundMe 
it was a GoFundMe, and it was pretty much saying regarding the kegs that they had pretty much received like a bad batch of kegs, the defective ones, like where their regulators weren't working right or the product wasn't sufficient or up to par. Sweet irony. Sweet irony. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're saying our product, we, you know, our factory screwed us is pretty much what the newsletter says. Hey, if you love our products, please give us money for us to stay in business. Do you actually think that they might go out of business or do you just think this is a marketing ploy? It seems far-fetched. I'm like going to my partner saying, this is unbelievable. We can make this story up that within a year of us getting back on track almost, they're sending out an SOS saying, send us free money or we're out of here. I believe within that holiday or slightly after, I don't even know if they'd sold anything during holiday, but they shut down. They're gone, completely gone. And we never did hear back from them. But that's where the lessons run in. You know, After it's all said and done, we spent thousands of dollars, approximately $12,000 to this lawyer. And again, we were a bootstrapped side hustle business. So $12,000 was not fun to, you know, write the check to Mr. Lawyer. It brought me back to your guy when I was listening to your podcast about your C&D issue and you had the lawyer on there giving you guys this advice on, oh, well, you got to respond to the C&D quickly and get your lawyer going or whatever. And I'm sitting there going, well, from my experience, it might have been better if we just sat quietly and kept doing business as usual and not worried about the lawyer. Now, granted, we ended up getting the lawyer because of the Amazon part of the thing, but that turned out that we never needed a lawyer, nor did it matter, nor did Amazon care about who your lawyer is and how they're representing you and what they're saying. It took a simple templated response worded correctly for this representative to respond and react. I mean, it seems unclear, probably even from your perspective, whether or not this was a tactic to get you banned from Amazon, but that's certainly how it played out. Now, there's two factors at play, right? One is getting you banned from Amazon, and then the other is getting you uh, wrapped up in a legal battle outside of Amazon. Their intentions were certainly effective if what their plan was, was was to get you banned at Amazon. It seems like, obviously, Amazon's not in the legal game, so you could have saved yourself a lot of money if you had written your own letters, right, like you said, even if it's two or three or four of them, they don't respond, then you can write that letter well-crafted to Amazon. But, you know, there are cases, I suppose, where this extends past Amazon, where it might be necessary to get a lawyer involved. But it seems like, yeah, maybe in your case, it wasn't totally necessary. Right. And another thing, when I was listening to the episode with your guys' C&D and the lawyer had said that you know, to actually pursue somebody, it's very expensive to back up your patent. So, you know, everyone can spend the two or three grand it costs to file your design patent or, or utility, any type of patent, regardless. It can be done for fairly cheap these days. But you need a good little arsenal of a war chest to defend it. And if you want to become this patent troll and you start sending out these CDs, that could be a hundred grand per company you're trying to go after that could be detrimental to that company or you know they could find themselves 
just blowing money trying to go after people rather than just going and doing business as usual and just trying to put out the best product possible and beat your competitors with quality and support. So Dylan, do you guys have any patents, utility, design, trademarks, anything like that in your business right now? No, we just have our normal company trademarks, no patents. I'm 100% against patents. If you're dealing with a product, it's always best to have your own design. You know, pay for the tooling, have something custom made that, you know, the factory won't make this or sell this product to other vendors that just may find them and say, hey, I want to sell this also. It's like, okay, you can, you can sell the stock factory product, but our product will be designed to our specs and look different at least. And that's, that'll be the differentiating issue. And then obviously do your due diligence on, you know, is there an actual utility patent on a product that you're selling? So this was always our approach to when we were manufacturing products is like, we felt that we could move faster than everybody else. We could market faster. We could build new products faster. We didn't worry about a bunch of this stuff either. Patents because, um, well, a lot of it, there was prior art. So there was existing products, but it was just a matter of who can move faster and who can have a good relationship with their factory. Now, when you mentioned designing your own tooling, meaning you have a specific mold or you have a specific process that the factory carries out for you and they only do it for you, that's great. We've done that before too. How do you actually ensure though that the factory will not sell out your designs or your tooling? So essentially that's your IP, right? This is like, I'm not going to go through the process of writing up a document and filing it with the USPTO that says, this is my tooling and this is my design and this is what's unique about it. But I am going to have some kind of agreement with the factory that says, hey, I'm not going to sell this to anybody else. How do you enforce that with the factory? It's always been a verbal agreement. And with the fact that if you're doing work with the factory as in you're working together, maybe the engineer is part of the factory over there in China and making sure that the product works, this and that, and you're just the one designing it, and maybe you had it designed here. Those are things that I think you have the the original designs here dated, shown there, but that's the importance of having a good relationship with a factory and vet them. I go to China twice a year. If you're spending enough money for this product, getting you know a $1,200 flight to China and checking out the factory they should be more than accommodating to invite you there to come see it and see the operations. And I think China always so respects like companies that come to them and do want to put boots on the ground of the factory. And they usually are, you know, want you to come and see that they are legit and they are honest. So when you're paying for the tooling, I've never had an issue in the past. We've always had good relationships because we've met in person and I've vetted them and made sure that they're legit. I never had anything legal, though, to be perfectly honest. Like, technically, you know, China could screw you, but that would be bad business, especially when you plan on probably being one of their bigger customers down the line. I mean, they see those dollar signs. So this is just like old school power dynamics at play. The idea is that you're going to show up to these factories, you're going to build a real relationship, and also you're going to order more than anybody else's. I've always been the largest manufacturer of whatever product I'm manufacturing in China. And so it's worked out. I haven't had anybody come in and start selling more of my own products than me. I'm sure it happens. But I do think that there is some honor 
and working with these factories in, in the way that you're doing it. And it's just good old fashioned power dynamics at play. Absolutely. I mean, they're not trying to ruin their number one revenue stream by making us go elsewhere. You know, you can also come up with some type of paperwork template, you know, for this tooling process for all types of products or new products and additional ones that, you know, maybe it might make you feel better. You know, you could even have a lawyer maybe draft up some type of agreement to have them sign. They'll sign it. I mean, I don't see them not doing it, especially when they're making money regardless. So, you know, if you need that piece of paper to make you feel a little bit more legally safe, I don't see the problem with that, but I've technically never had to do that. Dylan, it's a good story. I'm glad to hear that your bully disappeared. Doesn't always happen that way. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Big shout to Dylan from Kegsmith. Super cool when listeners of this show share their entrepreneurial experiences and then we all get to benefit from it. So the links and notes to everything mentioned in today's app will be over at tropicalmba.com slash kegsmiths. This week, we are going to skip the rock reviews and news. Hopefully, Bossman will come back from the mountains with some tasty jams and certainly we're going to have tons of news. Let's do a dynamite deal. Of course, deals is where we go out on your behalf and find a product or service that can help grow or improve your business with just a click. Today's service is aimed at something so many of us need but procrastinate on. It is a trademark registration package from Destination Legal. And Destination Legal is run by Sarah Cornblood, who's been on this show before as part of the community. And importantly, she understands online businesses. And also, as a bonus, we've tossed in some discounts on legal documentation bundles that are written by an attorney and are specific to the industry that you're operating in. And so many of us do procrastinate on this stuff because we worry about dealing with lawyers or billable hours or doing tedious research on the USPTO website to see if someone else owns our trademark or how to position our application. And even when we try to DIY this stuff, often they'll get refused. So why not get an experienced attorney involved at a flat rate? If you take advantage of today's deal over at dynamitedeals.co, you'll save nearly $1,000 on this flat rate service. Why not work with an attorney who's helped hundreds of internet entrepreneurs and online companies protect their assets at this incredible one-time offer only over at Dynamite Deals. So if you want to learn all the details about the attorney we're partnering with and how they can protect you, register your trademarks, and protect your business online, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. That is it. And I got a flight coming up, so I gotta get rolling. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.